Well, good morning, everyone. We're going to begin our worship this morning with Our God Reigns. Would you stand as we sing, please? you're all powerful, that you're almighty, that you're yesterday, the same today and every day. Your faithfulness is unending. Your mercies are forever and forever. We praise you and thank you for your grace and goodness unto us. As we gather this morning, Father, we rejoice and give thanks for the great salvation that you have made possible through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ that whosoever will may come and drink of the waters of eternal life. How we praise you and thank you for that assurance that you are an anchor that is unmovable, steadfast, and sure. Thank you, Father, for every blessing. Thank you for each person that are here, is here today. We thank you for the guests, some for the first time today, and we rejoice, Lord, 
they've chosen to come and worship with us today. We pray for those that are in the process of grief. We pray, Father, that you would comfort and encourage them, help them to sense your presence with them at all times. And thank you for the hope that you give us, that we, as the redeemed of the Lord, can see our loved ones on the other side. And we give you praise and thanks. Pray for our pastor as he leads us this morning in presenting your word. May the Holy Spirit have freedom to move in our midst. And may people come to know you as Savior and Lord. And that we as Christians, Father, might be renewed and revived. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I appreciate so much our summer choir. They've done a great job all summer. We did have one rehearsal last Wednesday night, and we looked somewhat at uh, the fall. We're also choosing Christmas music, a lot of good things going on. The choir's going to sing this morning a San Pethel song called We Shall All Be Changed.
Father, we come just now thanking you for the many blessings of this life, the blessing of salvation through Christ. We give you the honor and the glory for it all. We pray just now, Father, that our church would be a standing church and a witness for you in all things. Thank you just now, and we pray just now for this offering as we receive it. It might be given out of a heart of love and faith. It all be done to glorify you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, Glenn, because he lives. A wonderful, wonderful song there. If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 2. This is the first Sunday in August, so we are going to begin a uh, summer, um, well, it's not the summer anymore. It's an August sermon series on the book of Judges. Now, we're not going through the entire book of Judges. That would take more than four Sundays, but the next next four weeks, including today, as well as our Wednesday nights, if you come on Wednesday nights here at 6.30, we'll also be talking about judges, looking at some of the judges. I want to give you some background information about what's going on in the book of Judges and why I'm preaching on this and why this is so important for us today. The book of Judges is about the tragedy of forgetting God. It is true that you can forget about the Lord. And next thing you know, you are finding yourself living a life that is not centered around God's will and God's plan for you and what God will want you to be doing to serve Him. And you just go about and it just it's a slow drift. It doesn't happen. You just wake up one day and decide you want to be a, a pagan. But all of a sudden you just drift away from the Lord. And that's what happened throughout the book of Judges. The book of Judges covers a 300-year time period. What's going on in the first part of your Bible here? Those first five books of the Bible have to do with Moses and the Pentateuch and Adam and Eve and creation, all that. Well, what happens is Moses is wandering around, as you know, for 40 years in the desert. The people that nonstop problems are griping, grumbling. God gets angry. There's consequences. Well, finally, God told Moses, you're not entering the promised land. I'll bring you up to the promised land, but Moses, you're going to die. Until this generation passes away, no one's going to go in the promised land. Well, Moses' successor was Joshua. Joshua brought and led the people into the promised land. Joshua was a godly, godly young man. He was a military leader. He did what the Lord wanted him to do, and that's the book of Joshua. Joshua, what would have happened? Back in the book of Genesis, there was a people group called the Canaanites, and Noah cursed the Canaanites. And God told the Israelites, when they go into the promised land, the Canaanites lived in the promised land. So when Joshua and his people were to take the people and lead the Israelites into the promised land, they were to wipe away and wipe out the Canaanites. Well, they didn't do it. In fact, even the book of Genesis, one of the Twelve, one of Judah, one of the guys who was the twelve tribes of Israel, he even married a Canaanite. The Canaanites were the people who lived in the land of Canaan, which is the same land of the promised land that has been given to Israel. And these were people, the Canaanites, who did not worship the Lord. 
In fact, whatever the Bible said, they did the opposite. And the, the plan that God had for Israel was to get rid of these folks. Well, they kind of lived among them. They made some of them their slaves, their forced labor, so it just wasn't. And then some of the guys were even marrying the Canaanites, and everything was wrong. So what happened is we get after Joshua, we get here to the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, the first chapter or so, we see Joshua gets a wonderful burial. People honor him, and next thing you know, uh, these judges start uh, popping up, and they start leading Israel over this 300-year time period. The judges is the, uh, inner, the, the transitional time before we get to Samuel and Saul and start in the king. So we get this period of these leaders that God raises up. Some of the most popular, there's actually 12 judges in the book of Judges, and after that, um, there's uh, three others. And, and the most famous of all of the judges, but he's not in the book of Judges, his name is Samuel, and he anointed David and Saul to be king of Israel. But the tw- of, of the 12 judges throughout this book here, uh, the, th- the ones we, most, uh, we know best are Deborah, uh, Gideon, and Samson. So we know some of these folks, and you hear the great Bible stories, and God would raise up these leaders for periods of apostasy and folks who were turning away from the Lord. So the main point that we see here, and I have a verse here, the very last verse, actually it's up, going to be up here on the screen, the last verse of the book of Judges, Judges 21.15, actually sums up the entire book of Judges. This is what happened. I think this is what happens today, here in 2018. Everyone did what was right in his own, own eyes. Have you ever met someone that they just don't listen? Your children don't listen. Maybe your preacher doesn't listen. Maybe people you know, your wife, your spouse, you just tell them what to do. Your grandkids, it doesn't matter. They're not going to listen to you. And they just do whatever. They just they live their life. They do not listen. And you just feel you walk around, you tell people stuff. It just goes in one ear and out the other. They don't listen. And that's really, that's how God felt, feels about the book of Judges. And when it comes down to it, the people are just going to do whatever they want to do. I mean, nothing has changed. And this, this is the last verse in the entire book. Judges 21. Everyone did what was right. Whatever you feel is best for you is what you're going to do. So whatever makes you happy, whatever you feel is best, whatever is most important to you, you go ahead and do. Now, you might live that way, but that is not how God's people are supposed to live whatsoever. That's not how the people in this book, were, they were not obedient to the Lord. What the Lord said, they did the opposite. Till when times got tough, then they would turn to the Lord, and it was a cycle that they were just stuck into with what happened. This is really about halfway discipleship. That's what this entire book is about. You see these folks who, all of a sudden, it's very clear what the Lord says, hey, you just obey my commands, and I will bless you. You will defeat your enemies. You will not be in slavery. You will be honored. God will honor them and bless them. But they could not do that. In fact, what they did is they learned to live with idols in their midst. And what that means is the Canaanites worshipped not God, but they worshipped idols. And that when, you have, when you're living in the same city as idols, it's very easy 
The idols slip into your life. If you live in a community that has liquor stores and bars, and every restaurant you go to is also a bar, and drugs are rampant, do you know what that happens to the people of God? Slowly, these things will creep into the believer's lives. And your children, your grandchildren, they will stop, start adapting to their culture. And that happens all around us. It changes your mindset. And that's what happened to Israel. They began worshiping the Canaanite idols. They were doing the same. You couldn't tell an Israelite apart from a Canaanite. They looked exactly the same. And this made God angry. And the Bible says that they forgot about the Lord. They, they grew up and they didn't know Him. So I want you to follow along. Turn, pull out your Bible. I want to read this scripture here. This is the book of Judges, chapter 2. We're going to read starting verse 6 through verse 23. It's, or verse 20 here. Or I'm sorry, 23. Previously when Joshua had sent the people away, the Israelites had gone to take possession of the land and each to his own inheritance. The people worshipped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime. And during the lifetimes of the elders who outlived Joshua. So understand, they, during Joshua and the people around, the elders of Joshua, they worshipped the Lord. So Joshua was discipled by Moses. Joshua discipled these elders and these other men and women around him, and they also followed and worshipped the Lord. But what happened here is the people worshipped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime and the lifetimes of the elders who outlived Joshua. They had seen the Lord's great works and all he had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath Ayers, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. That whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors. Notice that whole generation, you had this generation, this people who loved the Lord. Joshua, the elders. But all of a sudden, in verse 10, after them... Another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works He had done for Israel. After this generation, another generation rose up and they did not know the Lord. They didn't know God. And they didn't even know the works He had done. I mean, they didn't even know the great victories God had done. They didn't know about the great revivals and the rich heritage of the past of how God would answer prayers and do these wonderful miracles and healings. This new generation did not know the Lord. This past Thursday, we had 14 people go to Letcher County, kind of on a, on a preview trip, on an area looking to do some ministry there in um, Letcher County, a little town of Letcher. And we were talking to this guy, and he was telling me about how in this whole region of eastern Kentucky, the churches are struggling struggling you go to church you find a church running 50 folks that is huge his church at 55 is a large church most of the churches are family chapels and it's two or three families just it's a sunday school class and you have this entire generation even use that you have a whole generation coming up and they're not there it's grandma and grandpa just remembering the good old days. And the churches are tragically dwindling away. That is exactly what happened here in Joshua chapter 2. A new generation is coming up, and they don't know what the Lord did. 
They don't know about the, about the past. Keep reading here in your Bible. Look at verse 11. This is what Israel did. and there's, This is the story here. The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. This is what happens when people do not know their Bible. This is what happens when people are not raised in God's house. This is what happens to your children and your grandchildren. If you don't teach them about the Lord, if you don't instruct them in God's ways, they will grow up and they will do evil in the Lord's sight. We say, Dan, how do you know? Well, who else is going to teach them? If you don't teach them, if they're not in church and learning from God's Word, who, how are they going to know? This is the generation that came behind Joshua. It's an example of a lost generation. It's the generation here in 2018. We're living in the time of judges. Exactly. Nothing's changed. They worship the Baals. Baal was the, the main idol of the Canaanites. Baal was a totem pole. You go and you worship, and you give an offering, and you bow down to this object, and you, give, you, give, you pay your respects to an idol. That's the second commandment. You shall not have any idols. Nothing comes before the Lord. And the Israelites were finding themselves worshiping the Baals. Now, you probably, and I think what's amazing about this, Moses, here he's a, such a, he spoke with the Lord. He had such a relationship with God. God spoke to Moses like the Bible says a man would speak to someone face to face. Then Moses discipled Joshua. Joshua was a military leader who led him into the promised land and started driving out the people groups there and started having these military victories. And the Bible says they loved the Lord. They loved the Lord during the time of Joshua. But then after Joshua, this new generation... It's always the third generation where the break happens. And all of a sudden, they are coming up and they are not worshiping the Lord. They're living amidst the Canaanites. And now they're worshiping the Canaanite idols. They worship the bells and abandon the Lord. You know, I bet when they did that, they didn't consciously just wake up one day and think, you know what? We're going to abandon the Lord. Just gradually, the cultural drift, when you're living amidst the Canaanites and their idols, the bells, it just crept into their life. And all of a sudden, you turn around, and next thing you know, you've quit tithing, you've quit coming to church regularly, you've really become bitter, you've lost your daily devotional life, your prayer life is really just dried up, and then you have abandoned the Lord. That's what happened there. It's not that nobody consciously wakes up and says, I'm going to abandon the Lord. Just life happened and you drift away. And that's what happened here with this generation. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed down to them. They angered the Lord, for they abandoned Him and worshipped Baal and the Asherah. That's another idol. The Lord's anger burned against Israel. And he handed them over to marauders who raided them. These are raiders who sold them to the enemies around them. 
And they could no longer resist their enemies, so they started losing territory and land. Those great victories from Joshua, they started going backwards. They were in reverse. Listen, your spiritual life in every church, you're either moving forward, you're in drive, or you're in your reverse. And right here, they're, they're going backwards. Whenever the Israel, whenever the Israelites went out, verse 15, the Lord was against them and brought disaster on them, just as He has promised and sworn to them. So they suffered greatly. The Lord raised up judges who saved them from the power of their marauders. These are raiders. But they did not listen to their judges. Instead, look at this, they prostituted themselves with other gods, bowing down to them. They turned quickly away from their fathers who had walked in obedience to the Lord's command. They did not do as their fathers did. The word there in verse 17, it talks about how they prostituted themselves. What that means is God, the image that the writer of Judges is painting here, that God views all sin as idolatry. Now, idolatry is when you're worshiping an idol. It's when something else has crept into your life. Now, when you find this, when, you're, when you've allowed sin into your life, God views all sin as not just adultery, but adultery. That's what it means to prostitute yourself. You're committing, when, you, when, you, when we as believers, when we sin, what you just did, it's like you're cheating on your wife or your husband. You've slept with someone else. That's the imagery we see here. When you and I go out and sin against God, we cheated on Him. We've committed adultery against the Lord. That's what he's saying here. You look at, look at the image. This is harsh language he's saying here. The people, who my people, who I brought in and gave them this land, and I've taken good care of them, they went out and cheated on me with another woman, another man. I can't believe it. And then God naturally, if someone cheats on you, what happens? You become angry. You're mad. And that's what he's saying here. Verse 17. But they did not listen. Remember, going back to listen. They didn't listen to God. I don't care what God, I'm just going, I'm going to do my own thing. I know, God, what's best. The people did not listen. They're doing their own thing here. Instead, they prostituted themselves with other gods bowing down to them. They're cheating on the Lord. This is all sin. All sin is adultery, which then becomes adultery. You're committing this sin. Verse 18, Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for the Israelites, the Lord was with him, and he helped save the people from the power of their enemies while the judge was still alive. The Lord was moved to pity. Whenever they groaned because of those who were oppressing and afflicting them, whenever the judge died, this is the cycle they got into, the Israelites would act even more corruptly than their fathers, following other gods to serve them and bow down to worship them. They did not turn from their evil practices or their obstinate ways. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and He declared, because this nation has violated my covenant. Let's look at that word. A covenant. God violated the covenant. Do you know when you get saved, do you walk this aisle and you say, I'm ready to sign up, 
And Lord, I'm ready to become a disciple and a follower of you. I'm making a commitment to Jesus today. God, I want to accept the free gift of eternal life. What you're actually doing is you're signing up for a covenant with the Lord. A covenant is something that cannot be broken. A covenant is like a marriage. When you get married to Jesus, when you become a follower of Jesus, it's called eternal security forever. It's not some cheap grace He's offering. He's offering commitment that you're giving all to the Lord. And you're saying, yes to Jesus Christ, I'm ready to be saved. So what happened here, these are His people. These are the people He redeemed, that He brought out of slavery, that He chose through Abraham. Just like you. He's chosen you. He's picked you. He saved you. You're a covenant people. So what happens here, in verse 20, because this nation, we'll read it again, it's not nation, it's people, it's because the believers, it's because us, because we've violated my covenant that I made with their fathers and disobeyed me. So you disobey the Lord, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. What God just says is, you know what? I've brought you this far, and I've blessed you, and I've helped you win battles, and I've given you everything you have, but I'm done doing that because you can't keep your covenant. So from now on, you will lose. There are always consequences to sin. Broadway, listen to that. When you and I sin as believers, we are covenant people with the Lord. When you sin, you've now committed adultery and you've cheated on God. And you're, you're going to be held responsible. There's always consequences to sin. Sin always comes at a cost. You don't see the cost a lot. They probably didn't realize it. They were just living among the Canaanites. And next thing you know, this happened. So this is the covenant people. God's saying, from now on, you're going to start losing. I'm tired of this. Verse 22. Verse 21. I will no longer drive out before any of them the nations Joshua left when he died. I did this to test Israel and to see whether or not they would keep the Lord's way by walking in it, as their fathers had. The Lord left those nations and did not drive them out immediately. He did not hand them over to Joshua. I mean, there's still people left. And that's what the book of Judges is about. These people groups are going to oppress Israel. And they're going to defeat Israel. And there's going to be difficult and dark days for Israel. Look here up on the screen. I've got, I want to show you how do people today forget about God? Say, like, okay, that was thousands of years ago. We live in a different time. We don't have judges. How do we forget about God today? Because I do. I think it's possible. I think it's not just possible. It's, a, it's something that's creeping at the door for every single one of us. That you could find yourself, and every, every church could go out of business. Every believer could be an apostate, meaning they just fall away. And all of a sudden, God, if His covenant people can fall away, we can fall away. Because we're His New Testament covenant people. Look at this. This is how you fall away from the Lord. You live among sin. Once sin that you thought was completely wrong, you now tolerate it. You tolerate alcohol. You used to be against it, now it just it's crept into your life or in your home. You tolerate 
cultural sins we have today, abortion, you tolerate homosexuality, you tolerate uh, just theft, stealing. It's, you know it goes on, but you know, how, is the IRS going to know? They've got enough money. You steal from the government. It's just little things that you once knew were so wrong and you would never know. Even stealing pens from places. From, you steal. Steal from church. It's something that was once completely wrong. All of a sudden, you tolerate. You live among sin. This is what it's like with the Canaanites. Israel was living with people who were worshiping Baal. And God did not want them. He told them to destroy this people group. They were cursed in Genesis 9.25, and they didn't do it. They just, in fact, adopted their ways. Number two, your schedule doesn't allow time for God, as it once did. Truthfully, you're just busy. You used to have time for the Lord, but for whatever reason, you were busy. And I want to tell you what happens to young people. Young people grow up and they go to high school. And you, how old do you have to be at work? 16, 17 years old. And at 17, you get a job. And if you are 17 or 18 years old and you have a job, do you know the first day of the week you're going to work? It's on Sunday morning. Wherever you work at, they're going to work you on Sunday morning. Because the folks that have been there a long time, they don't want to work on the weekends. So the new guys work on the weekends. So they're working their job right now as we speak. And what happens is they take a job and say, oh, you don't have to work one Sunday a month. Well, that one Sunday a month becomes every Sunday of the month. And then you just, you slowly, this is what happens. Someone growing up in church, in the youth group, they were there, but then they're not there. And they want to be there. And they even ask off work every now and then, but they're not there. And it goes on in college. You're working in the weekend. You're busy. You're once you made God the priority and you honored the fourth commandment and the Sabbath, but now you don't. This is how we forget about the Lord. You sign up for baseball and your games are on Sunday morning. Your practices are on Sunday. And you're part of the church, but you're not physically always present. Whatever it would be, your schedule, and now this is how the devil attacks. He will make sure your schedule does not fit for worship. He will make sure you are busy and there's other things to do. I was leaving our house today. I was knowing our neighbors were doing their yard work. On Sunday, you can do your yard work. This is, and they're not in church. They're doing their yard work. That's an evangelism opportunity right there. It's an outreach opportunity. Now I know, but you're busy. This is how you forget about the Lord, knowing that. Look at this. This happens, and this is what you have to guard against. Your children, your grandchildren, including yourself. You never marry a Canaanite. Evangelism dating does not work. Listen, if you have children who are looking to get married, or you have grandchildren, or even great-grandchildren, when I say Canaanite, I don't literally mean, we don't know who the Canaanites are. A Canaanite is someone who does not worship the Lord. They do not go to church. Now, they might say they go to church, but they don't go to church. Christ is not first in their life. They are not living their life for the Lord. You never marry a Canaanite. In fact, I have a Bible verse up here. Look what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Now, I believe this Bible verse, 2 Corinthians 6.14, it doesn't just apply to marriage. It applies to life. Your closest friends should not be Canaanites. 
And the reason why this is important is if you are close to Canaanites, their bells and their ashtra poles, all of a sudden their idols start, will creep into your life. They will. God is warning us. In Israel, you and Ezra 9.1, do you know what happened? They rebuilt the temple there and they got things going again. And they discovered, Ezra 9.1 through verses 1-4, through 4, find out the Israelites are marrying the Canaanites. Of course they don't come to worship because they have a spouse that gives them a hard time about going to worship the same God. Worship of a false God. They're unequally yoked. We are surrounded. Listen, you protect your children and your life and your grandchildren's life. They need to be marrying born-again, devout believers. I will never forget the very first wedding I ever performed. Now, older, I realize I would never marry these people, but I was younger then. I think I've been told this story. I was at Sanford. I was a sophomore, and I knew our neighbors, and they, they said they went to another church, but that was questionable. So they asked me to marry them. This young girl, she was a few years older than me. She was marrying this guy. And this is, I mean, I'm doing premarital, I'm like 19 or 18 or 20 doing premarital counseling with these people who are like 23, 20. You can just see, and we're doing it on their back porch of their house. That's where the counseling place was, because anyway, but that's just the only place we can meet. Um, so I sat down with them, and I was explaining to them about marriage. How marriage is between a godly wife and a godly husband, and it's a pyramid, and the two as they grow closer to the Lord together, they become closer together. Like, as, as the wife is growing in her faith, and the husband's growing in his faith, and they're both serving Jesus together, they will become, as they're growing up closer, it's a pyramid, you get closer. And this, I'm just, I'm young, I'm fired up, I'm excited, I just, I'm so excited to officiate a wedding. And I said, sir, I can't remember the guy's name. Is this what y'all's, do you view this, what your marriage is going to be like, y'all growing closer together? And I, I'm just like exploding out of my chair. I was like so excited to do premarital counseling. And he looks at me and he started laughing. He goes, no, man, I, what, what are you talking about? Man, it's a good-looking <laughs> good girl. I love her. We're getting married. Right there, if that's, the, his, if that's your reason for getting married, Christ was not the center of their marriage. I, I shouldn't have officiated their wedding. I did because I was eager and excited. I married them. Do you know what happened five years later? They're divorced now, my first wedding. <clears throat> now, I learned when people mock God during premarital counseling and laugh at these things, they don't need to be getting married. They did not understand biblical marriage whatsoever. Biblical marriage is when both people have Christ at the center of their life and they both love the Lord. That was, that was probably two Canaanites getting married. And for us, we do not, you should not be marrying your children. They should not be marrying Canaanites. Canaanites are pagans. Canaanites are people who do not worship, who do not put the Lord first in their life. I want you to know something. We live in a Canaanite culture. Canaanite culture is all around us. Canaanite people are people who do not, who, who do not worship the Lord. They worship football. They worship money. They worship their vacation. They worship their family. They worship the gym, their looks. Anything except God, they worship. And we, we are called out from that. 
We are God's covenant people. He's pulled us out of Egypt, out of slavery, and He's put us in the promised land. He's put us here. And He says, I want you to drive out the Canaanites. Don't adopt their practices. You need to be, you need to be my holy people. Don't become like them. Some of you have allowed Canaanite culture to come into your life. Canaanite culture is sin. And this is why Judges is what the whole book is about. They adopted the idols of the Canaanites, which is the culture. We never marry a Canaanite. If you're dating or you know someone that you're, or you even are very best friends with someone, they will pull you away from the Lord. It doesn't work ever. No one gets, no one should go be going into a marriage and say, "Hey, I'm going to bring them to church." No, they're going to pull you away from church. They're going to pull you away from the Lord. Do not be unequally yoked. We see here the two problems. This is our generation today. It's up here on the screen. Two problems after Joshua. This is what happened. Joshua is a godly man, discipled by Moses. He comes about, he passes away. A new Verse 10 says, This new generation arose who did not know the Lord. Not only did they not know the Lord, they didn't even know what the Lord had done. Do you know there's a generation today, they do not know the Bible stories. They do not go to Sunday school. Every time your children and your grandchildren miss Sunday school, they're missing an opportunity of learning Bible stories. The purpose of Sunday school, the purpose of coming to children's ministry, youth ministry, you're learning the great stories of what the Lord has done. This new generation, they don't know. Who's Samson? Who's Gideon? Deborah? Who are these people? Moses? Joshua? No. These are the great stories of our faith. When you start taking this away from people, you're going to have a generation. They are not going to know the Lord. This is our generation today. We're the generation after Joshua. They've, we've got this new group that's rose up. They're not there. They don't know Jesus. They don't, they don't know what's happened. My parents uh, brought Elizabeth up yes, or a couple days ago, and, and Marcy, Sherry's sister's in town from Ohio. <clears throat> so what happened was, um, a year last year, we went to this place called Shaker Village, which is right down that road. And, um, you know, we start visiting places and you start telling other people they want to go too. So my parents wanted to go to Shaker Village because they had never been. And Marcy wanted to go check out Shaker Village. And yesterday was this big craft fair they had and it was just packed. It was really neat. So we went down uh, Shaker Village for the second time. And it was really neat because you could go into different buildings and they had people there giving you a tour. I saw some Broadway folks while I was down there as well. We had several folks from here. Uh, there, the place was just lots of folks, and um, walking around, and you would go in the building, and the main building where they have the religious services is called the meeting house. It's the big building they just restored it. You go in there, and they had a lady sharing about um, the Shakers, and this is actually a religious sect. At one point in the early to mid 1800s, they had up to 500 people living on three or four thousand acres. It was huge. It was neat. And heard all, learned all about their culture, mainly their religious culture. And these were people who were devoted to the Lord. They were faithful. And what was interesting about it, as she then told us, says, well, what happened? Why, why are there no more shakers left here? Where, where did they go? Like, why aren't they there at Pleasant Hill anymore? What happened was, this was communal living there at Shaker Village 175 years ago. They were living in an isolated, 
bubble on this 3,000-acre farm outside Harrodsburg, Kentucky. And about the mid, eight, mid toward the end of the 1800s, the world around them started changing. Two things happened that put the Shakers under. The Civil War, they were forced to get involved and help house and get, they were influenced by the Civil War and the Industrial Revolution. Nobody needed the Shakers anymore. No one needed their stuff. The machines came about. Everything around them in Harrisburg started changing. And what was once people who were growing up and they said what was happening is their people, their Shakers, they realized there was another um, world outside of, of Pleasant Hill. So they would go out and go, wait a minute. I went over here and they're different than us. They're actually more technologically advanced. This is like the late 1800s. And they started losing their people. And they were marrying non-Shakers. And they were going outside the compound. And slowly what happened at Shaker Village is it just dwindled away. And then in 1910 it died out. And they, they lost, they lost what, what, what was so notable about them. It drifted away. Now, we as Christians, the great thing about the gospel and Jesus is God and Jesus never change. The culture around us, all it does, Broadway, is change. I mean, it's probably changed by this afternoon. I mean, you can't, you, you can't even keep up with the, how many changes there are. But the great thing about us, even though everything around us changes, this word, Jesus Christ, the Lord, He never changes. We are rooted in this Bible. We are rooted in Jesus Christ. We are rooted in the Gospel. So even though everything changes around us, we aren't like the Shakers. We're rooted in the Lord. And God says, I, the Lord, do not change. Although we're living Canaanite culture and it all changes, and what this means for a new generation is the way we teach children 40 years ago might be different, but the point is you're still teaching them. You're still training them. The gospel's still going out. You have to use technology. You have to use social media, whatever it takes. You're sharing the good news of the Lord. Number two, last thing we see here. What happened after Joshua? They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And who'd they serve? They served the Baals. That's the idol of the main idol of the Canaanites. They did not find themselves no longer serving the Lord. They were serving someone else. Now, they had good intentions, but they didn't do it. Not this past Saturday, but two Saturdays ago, right when we came back from Hilton Head, we had to go, I, I kind of I, um, had to take some stuff to Goodwill because someone cleaned out the house. So I go to the Goodwill, and I went there, and the Goodwill I go to, I, I can't throw stuff, you can't throw things away, you have to feel, they just have to donate it. So the Goodwill here on Boston Road is a drive-through Goodwill, which I love. You just, they, they just take it right out. And I want to tell you the time. Do not go to Goodwill. It's at 2 o'clock or 2.30 on a Saturday. What happens on Saturdays is people have yard sales. And whatever's left over, somebody loads it up in a truck, and they take it to Goodwill, and they're sitting there unloading their stuff. Well, I got behind one of those trucks, and I watched this lady unload all this stuff. And I realized, you know, this is good stuff they're donating. <laughs> I came home. I was buying it off of her truck. I came home with more stuff. I mean, I was buying children's golf clubs. We have, what, what, what are we going to 
do children's golf clubs for, but I, I came home and I actually came home from Goodwill with more stuff than I dropped off. And the lady said, why weren't you in my yard? So I said, ma'am, I didn't know about it. I'm sorry. And what ha- this is what happens. How you find yourself, you have good intentions. I'm going to go and clean out the garage and drop some stuff off. And you come home with more stuff than you left. This is how, this is how you find yourself serving the bells, the idols of the day. Nobody, no Christian wants to sin. No one wants to be uh, adopting the Canaanite practices. It just happens. Just like me. I go dry. It just happened. I end up sharing here's some more stuff. It just happened. No, it, wasn't, it was good intentions that occurred. The world around us is changing. We live in Canaanite culture. Our commitment this morning, your commitment as a follower of Jesus Christ, saying, Lord, I don't want to be like the people in the book of Judges where they adopted and became and worshipped and did the evil of the surrounding peoples. Lord, purify my hands. Cleanse my heart. And see, am I completely living for the Lord? And I want to tell you this first thing. Sins that you used to find repulsive. Sins that you used to see, I just couldn't ever do that. And now you find yourself slowly tolerating them. Something you used to never even think about doing. Ah, you know, that's how things are. That's how it starts. We as Christians, we will find ourselves slowly tolerating sin. It creeps into your life. That's what happened. We live amidst the Canaanites. And if you're not careful, it will become you. You will, be, you will not be, have any difference from a believer in Jesus Christ and a Canaanite false god. I want to ask everybody to bow their head. We're going to have our invitation. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. I want you to examine your life for this invitation. I want you to think, God, have I allowed Canaanite culture to come into my life? Have I allowed the culture of Lexington, the sins of our society, have they crept into me just like they did in the book of Judges? Lord, I ask this morning for the folks here, if there's anybody here that has slowly drifted into Canaanite ideas and beliefs, Lord, we pray right now, we repent of that. Lord, we call it like it is. It's sin which leads to idultery, which leads to adultery. And Lord, we're cheating on you when we do this. God, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here that has allowed Canaanite beliefs and Canaanite practices to come in their life, they will repent of it. Lord, call, we call it out. Point it out to us in our life. Show me, show me unconfessed, unrepentant sin that has crept into me. Lord, this is serious. You burned with anger. Lord, the reason maybe our prayers aren't being answered and we don't experience in victories, we are allowing Canaanite call influence into us. Lord, we have no business in being unequally yoked with Canaanite. God, I pray this morning, if there's someone here 
That needs to be cleansed. Lord, the blood of, blood of Your Son, Jesus. Lord, You cleanse this. You purify us. I pray we respond to You. You call us publicly. Joshua cried out as he was entering the promised land. He says, choose for, your, this, choose for this day whom you will serve. The Lord or someone else. God, I pray today we will choose you, the Lord. Lord, we pray during this invitation as we respond to the gospel and the good news. If there's anyone here that needs to be saved, I pray they will do that. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here, in two weeks we have believers' baptism. They've never been baptized. I pray they'll do this. Lord, they need a commitment to a church home. Lord, you are a God of commitments. You demand all. And we, we can't, there's no such thing as half-hearted discipleship. Lord, we give you this invitation. I pray for your spirit to move. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. We're going to close our service with an invitation. This is your opportunity to respond. I'm going to invite everyone to stand up as we always close our service. I'll be waiting down front for you. This is your opportunity to do business with God. Let's sing together. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, just as I want to share a couple of things going on here at Broadway this week and as well as tonight. Uh, this afternoon at 2 o'clock, our young adult ministry, uh, led by Raphael here. Raphael, you raise your hand. He, well, they're planning a picnic over at uh, Masterson Station Park, and it's on Leestown Road, and they're going to be at the Splash Pad, is that right? The little water park there? I guess there's some, yeah, some park benches there, so... Uh, that's a picnic this afternoon, so everyone, uh, I guess you know, young adult, however you define that, you're invited to that, and bring your family, your children, that's going to be this afternoon at 2 o'clock with that. Also tonight at 6 o'clock, we have our evening worship service, we're going through the book of Luke, so you're invited for that. Also, the, uh, we're kicking off Awanas, we're getting ready for that, 
And they'll be meeting uh, around that time, too, to start be getting ready for Awana. So if you want to help out Awana, you can come tonight, talk to Miss Adrian Carroll, and she can plug you in. Uh, it, it begins in a couple of weeks. Also this week, we are going on Thursday morning, we're going to go to Jenkins, Kentucky. We got, I think I'm at 10 people right now here going. If you want to go, you're welcome to ride down there with us. We'll be, um, the type of ministry we're going to be doing is we are going to be going up in the hollers and dropping off food. So we are collecting food. We're going to be uh, dropping that off. We're also um, going, we've received permission to go to the city pool and do, set up a little tent and do some ministry among the children. The, the mayor of Jenkins gave us permission to do that. So we're going to the city pool to do outreach at the pool, as well as um, there's some uh, repair work. Um, they have a dental mobile that was broken into, and they need some repairs on the door for that. P folks were coming in there looking for drugs. They've asked us specifically, they said, uh, we need to be collecting um, food, canned food, if you have any. Uh, we're going to be packing it on Wednesday night. Canned food, also a bottled water. Uh, they, they don't recommend drinking the water down there, as well as uh, diapers and car seats. If you have old baby car seats, they need some of those. I just want to give you an example. The late, uh, family we're going to go be visiting, a whole trailer park there outside Whitesburg, they said uh, this lady we're working with named Bessie is saying that they have in one home they, one lady is watching, I think it's a grandmother, she's taking care of nine children, I believe, nine children and on like $70 a month. I mean, they're just struggling, extreme poverty situations there in Letcher County. So we're going to be uh, helping minister to those type families. So it's, uh, it's ministry that's needed here in our state. So if you're interested in that, see myself or Danny Snyder, we can certainly uh, let you, uh, we'll be back uh, Saturday about 5, 6 o'clock. So that's, uh, that's later this week. And be praying for our trip as well. All right, David? All right, we're going to sing together the family of God. Thanks, good. Hey, brother, how are you doing? Good, good to see you. It's good seeing you. Hey, what, when, uh, what's your schedule this week? What if, I, what if we meet at Sam's Club before you bring it here and I get them to drop off? tonight.